think about the story of Christmas, um, and you look at the cultural story of Christmas, and there's really this huge kind of discrepancy between the two. On the one hand, you have God becoming flesh, moving into our neighborhood, showing up in a manger, which is literally a feed trough, and showing up in weakness in the womb of an unwed teenage mother. And on the other hand, you have people trampling over each other to get Xboxes, and people going into gross amounts of debt, and people stressed out and depressed and freaking out about how much money they're going to buy or what they didn't get or you sit there and you kind of go, those two stories are the same story. The first thing we see is that Jesus is worshipped. I mean, that is the story that God is with us and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and everybody worships the baby. You see that when Jesus showed up as king, he showed up really very resistant to the empires of the day. He didn't show up in a cloud of power and wealth. He didn't ride in with this large procession of horses and military might. He showed up as a baby. We also see when Jesus came that he redistributed his wealth, that the glory of heaven all, you can imagine what the wealth of God is like. And then he gave himself away relationally. That when God showed up, he didn't show up with Xboxes and iPods, or he showed up with a son. He gave a son. So we started looking at this story, and we ask the question, what if we entered this story? What if as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, what if we tried to worship God in the way the angels and the shepherds and the wise men did? And we did it because we entered that story. What if we resisted our empire of consumerism? What if we resisted going into debt and spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on stuff that we won't even remember we bought in six months? And what if we spent less because we gave more? We gave relational gifts, gifts of meaning, gifts that connected our hearts together in the same way that God gave a relational gift when he gave us a son. And then what if we took whatever money we didn't spend, and the average American spends like $800 to $1,000 a year on Christmas. What if by spending so much less, we took all that extra money and we redistributed it? We gave it to the least of these. When Jesus came, the Apostle Paul says it this way, that he who is rich became poor, that through his poverty he might make many rich. That he might make us rich. Nothing tells the story of Christ better than when the church lives like Jesus. What if people entered the story this way? What if we took back the story? I mean, Christmas is the story of Christ's birth. What if... Everybody celebrate Christ's birth this way. What if, what if we led the way in solving the water crisis in the world just because we spent less, gave more, and loved all? What would that look like? What would that tell the world about Christmas that God gave a son? And ever since then, nothing has ever been the same. Merry Christmas. Uh, it is so good to have you here. I'm so glad to, uh, to see you this evening. And uh, we're really here gathered today, tonight, this evening, to celebrate the day when everything changed. 
And I love the way he puts that uh, just in that short intro video because everything did change. Uh, The world was once again made right when the Son of God came down from heaven and was born in a feed trough of all places uh, to give us life, to give us new life uh, in him. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And I'm so happy and thankful uh, as a church that we get to welcome so many here uh, to experience this time and this season together because it is so significant for us. Um, This is also the last uh, week in the finale of something we've been doing together called Advent Conspiracy, uh, which is a a number of churches that are from around the country and even now around the world who are trying to tell a different story by the way they participate at Christmas time. And uh, he alluded to it in the video, but really it's a, it's a call to worship fully. And uh, so Christmas is all about worshiping. It's all about worshiping the one who has come from heaven uh, to give us new life. But it's more than that. And, and so we can worship in a number of different ways. And what we're saying is we want to worship God by actually spending less. What, wait. What do you mean, spending less? It's Christmas. Aren't you supposed to spend like $800 to $1,000 every year? I mean, that's really the, the, the way it's supposed to go. Um, but, but what we're doing is we're spending less on the things that don't matter so much, the things that we tend to forget about, those meaningless gifts that you feel obligated to give around Christmas time just because somebody's on your list, you feel like you need to buy them a present. But what if we cut down on some of those things and chose to spend less And then by spending thus, we actually have the opportunity to give a little bit more. And so we've been challenging the people of our church to give gifts of relationship to one another. Spend time with your kids. Spend time with your spouse. Go out, do stuff together. Make memories together. Be a family. Go and visit the people who are shut in and have nobody at Christmas time. And rather than giving them a gift that they may forget, Give them the gift of your presence because that is the gift that we receive on Christmas Day was the the gift of God's presence. And then what if we took some of that margin, you remember the, the money that we saved that as a church we chose not to spend, what if we took some of that that we chose not to spend and we actually devoted it together towards a common cause in order to love the least of these in the name of Jesus who we serve and worship at Christmas? And so that's what we've been doing throughout the month of December. We've been collecting uh, the, the things that we save and putting them into a very small box that we've kept around with us on our desks at work and, and our coffee tables at home. And now we've brought those things back. We've actually put them on the two Christmas trees that you see uh, as you kind of came up. So if you haven't gotten a chance to go and, and put your little box on the tree, I'd encourage you uh, to go and do that. And, and uh, because what we're going to do as a church is we're going to actually count up all the money that we saved at Christmas time. We're going to announce that before we leave here. Uh, that money is actually not going towards us as a church. It is going towards a project that we are starting in 2012 uh, through our partner organization called the 410 Bridge in a nation that's very, very poor called Haiti. We are going to be going down there to invest ourselves into one local small community of people who have literally nothing, not even clean water or education, and we're going to go down there in the name of Jesus and devote some of what we've saved at Christmas time to them and say, you are loved by God and you have not been forgotten. 
that is really the call that we have kind of taken up as a church this Christmas time. And I hope for those of you that call Cultivate Home and have been a part of this process, that it really has kind of changed the way that you viewed Christmas and the way that you view others around this time of year and the, the way that you spend and the way that you save and the way that you give, uh, because it really does change everything. It has really changed for Mandy and myself. It's really changed the way that we've operated around uh, Christmas time. So as we're wrapping up the last week of Advent Conspiracy, we're talking about this concept of loving all. And it has a lot to do with traveling. So let me ask this to kind of get us started. Who had to travel to get here from like more than a, you know, an hour's distance? Can, I, can you be bold and just kind of raise your hand? Who traveled here from a, a long ways away? I know there are some of you, so some of you are hiding right now, but I need to see your hands. How, how far away? Let, where did you come from? Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. That's a good distance. I think we got you beat, though. I really do. Anybody else? <laughs> I know where you guys are from, so you're going to have to fess up. <laughs> I came from Cherry Hill. <laughs> <laughs> he says with a smile. <laughs> yep. So one's Seattle area, right? Okay. And? And from England. That's what I was trying to get out of you. You are the winner. <laughs> I don't have anything to give. I can spend some time with you later because we're giving the gift of presents. Or, or some blue tape, if you'd like it. <laughs> I was thinking about this whole thing of, about traveling, um, because a week from Monday, my family and I were getting ready to go down to Florida to visit my parents. And I know you can feel sorry for me later that I'll be spending a week in Florida when things start to get cold around here. Um, but, but we're going to, to visit them. And it's, it's the first time that we've gone to visit my parents uh, since our son Caleb was born. And so we're, this is the first time we've been on a, a, a plane uh, with a child. And so it, it sh- those of you who have, have kids, you're like, oh, you have no idea what you're in for, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to repeat that one. But it changes everything about the way you travel, right? Because all of a sudden, you have all these things that you need to bring that you didn't have to bring before. So when I was single, it was like, you know, a backpack and, and, a, and a, you know, your driver's license. That was about it to go anywhere. But, uh, and then you get married and somehow things not just double, but they quadruple, right? I'm not sure how that happened, but it did. But then when you have kids, they not only quadruple, but they're 8 and 10 and 12 times more stuff. You're bringing all these things you had no idea that you needed before. Places for him to sleep and, and high chairs and car seats and all these things that now a child needs when you go away that you didn't have to bring before. It made us think about the way that we travel in a whole different way, doesn't it, parents? It does. Um, so let me think, you know, think about what you would travel if you were going to kind of take a long trip, right? All the things that you would bring with you. What are some of those things, right? Clothes, 
shoes. If you're going to be in a long car ride, you probably want some deodorant. Yes? <laughs> Especially for the people, if you're, you know, a compact car or something. Uh, something to read along the way. You kids, you're going to bring your, your DS, right? Or your, or your PSP, right? Parents, you're going to load up the minivan with a number of DVDs, and you're, like, counting the hours of DVDs that you have, calculating it minus the, the number of hours you're going to be on the road so you know you have enough coverage to, to kind of get you the whole way there and back. Uh, my parents didn't have that luxury, and so uh, I'm really looking forward to the age of DVDs so I can brag to my parents about how different it is these days than it was back then. Your iPod, so, you know, sometimes you like to bring a pillow because there's, so, there's nothing like having your own pillow even when you're away, right? So you're some way someplace different, but you have something familiar with you. Why do you think you pack so much? <laughs> All right, let me ask the guys that question. Why, why do you think? <laughs> See, all of us when we travel, right, the common denominator is we bring something of home to our new destination, Correct? So we bring something that's familiar, something that's comfortable, something that is convenient with us on our trip. Why? So that we have something from home with us to make where we're going seem a lot more like where we came from. Right? Uh, the reason I bring this up is because we celebrate at Christmas time one of the greatest travel experiences ever known. We celebrate Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And so for God to be with us, it means that there was one point where he was not with us. And so there was some kind of travel that took place when God decided in, in human form, when he became Christ, to come down from heaven to earth to give us a new experience of who he was. This great travel existed from one place to another. Um, Alan Hirsch, author, I mentioned this last week, uh, paraphrases John 1.14 this way. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. That God moved literally from heaven to earth to be with us. So there's always this moment that I have, and maybe you have a similar moment every Christmas when it starts to roll around, where I get kind of struck with the question, Why? Why? God, why would you do this? Why would you travel such a distance? Why would you intersect our world and, and make a, a life here among us, with us? Why would you do it? And the answer actually comes from Jesus' own mouth in Luke 19.10 where he says, For the Son of Man, talking about himself, came to seek and save what was lost. And so God traveled from heaven to earth on a mission, didn't he? And that mission, as Jesus puts it, is to, to find and then to save what was lost. And so I, I always found it fascinating to think about that moment in time when Jesus left heaven to come down to earth. I mean, those of you who maybe sent kids off to college, you've had this maybe a similar experience where you know the, the, the kids that you're sending out the door, you're dropping off at college or whatever, they're not coming home for a while, and life is going to change drastically from that moment on. And so 
It seems to me that God had a similar experience. At one point in time, he and Jesus are sitting around in heaven, and something unique happens where Jesus, who had always been there, always been part of what was happening in heaven, is now choosing, because of the Father's will, to come to earth on a mission to seek and save that which was lost. Think of what it must have been like for Jesus to take that kind of trip. And the reason I talk about us and our trips and how we tend to pack for those trips is because if you were God, you might want to bring a few things along with you to earth, correct? I mean, if you had all this stuff in heaven and you were going very, very far away and coming down to earth, you would want to bring something of heaven down with you, wouldn't you? And so I was just thinking up some of the things that Jesus might want to bring with him on his trip down to earth. And uh, the first thing that I think he'd probably want to bring is wealth. Think about this. If you are God, you are the wealthiest person who has ever existed. Money is no object to you. If you're going on a long trip, you want to make sure you have enough to cover your way, don't you? And so we might think that Jesus would want to bring with him something of heavenly wealth down to earth with him. You know, a little travel money, a little spending money. Make sure you stay at the nice hotels, all of that stuff. But you probably wouldn't stop there, right? Because if, if you've been in heaven all your life, if, you, if that's the only existence you've ever known, then it's probably a pretty play, a safe place, isn't it? And so... When you come down to earth, you'd probably want to bring some safety along with you. That would probably be a good thing to have. But not only is heaven a safe place, and not only is God wealthy, he's also, what? Powerful. I mean, you think of the infinite, eternal God existing, coming down in human form. You think he would want to bring something of his power to earth, yes? So we'll pack that along the way. How about this? Reputation. If you're going to be God on earth, wouldn't you want people to know it? You know? You'd want to come down in like a a cloud and empower and and say, here I am, everybody. Jesus, God in the flesh, I've come to, to seek and save that which was lost with all the power of heaven, with all the wealth that comes with it. I want people to know who I am, so I'm going to bring my reputation too. Last thing we might think of is uh, some of the things that we might bring on our trip is some comfort. I'm going to bring my pillow along so that it feels a little bit like heaven when I come down because i got a sweet pillow. You don't even know. But he'd want to be comfortable along the way, wouldn't he? If he's God in the flesh. And so he would bring that along too. My bag's getting a little full, though. Did you notice that? There's not much room left in here. And what have I forgotten? I can't quite fit it in. It doesn't go. I might be able to squeeze an iPad in here. That's kind of thin. But there's no room for love, is there? And so I guess I have to leave that aside. The reason I bring this up is because when we look at Jesus, we don't see someone of great wealth. 
We don't see someone with very much power. We, we don't find somebody who lives a safe life in comfort and who brings an enormous reputation with him. What do we find? What is the Christmas story? It is a baby born in a manger to an unwed, pregnant, poor teenage girl. Outside of every structure of power, he's born into complete poverty of no reputation, of nothing. So there's these things, and and I want to kind of share with you and have us relive and retell why it is that Jesus has chosen this kind of path because it impacts the way that we worship at Christmas and it impacts how we live out the Christmas story when we tell others about it. And so Jesus left his wealth in heaven. He left it at home and he became poor. Why? So that we could become rich. 2 Corinthians 8 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You know what that tells me? It tells me that God hears the cries of the poor. He knows every circumstance in life. And rather than letting wealth stand in the way of loving people, he says, I'm going to put wealth aside so that I can love. But he not only does that, he doesn't stop there. Jesus left safety behind. There was no room for safety in his pack. The safety that he experienced with the Father from when time began, he left it behind and instead he became rejected so that we could be accepted. Isaiah 53 puts it this way. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. As Jesus was rejected, he provided a way for us to become accepted. And it couldn't have happened if he decided to play it safe. Another thing that Jesus left behind in heaven was power. He said, I am not going to Lord, my power over those that I'm coming to seek and to save, I'm going to leave that behind in heaven also. Hebrews 5.2 says, He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. The reason he's able to understand us in our predicament and join us in our struggle is because he knows exactly what it's like to be weak and afraid and unsure. He joins us in that so that we can have a new way out of it. Next he says, you know what? I am going to leave behind my reputation too. I'm not going to come in power and lord my reputation over and say, here I am, come and worship me. I'm going to leave that behind in heaven too. Philippians 2 says, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. goes on to say that he subjected himself to death, even the shameful death of being crucified on a cross. 
He said, I'm going to make my reputation low. I'm not going to use that to stand in the way of people and my ability to love them. I'm going to leave that aside so that I can give people life in me. And finally, Jesus left his comfort behind as well. He said, I'm not going to use my power, my reputation to make myself comfortable. I am going to leave that in heaven in order to comfort those who are hopeless. In Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes in humility, in poverty, in discomfort, in fear, in low reputation. And he says, I have come to serve others that they may have life through me. So when we consider all the things that Jesus could have put in his bag, the only thing that he chose to put into his bag was love. Because really it was the only thing that would fit, sort of. (laughs) Born in a stable, laid in a feed trough, Surrounded by animals and shepherd, a poor, helpless, fragile baby who is at the same time the mighty one of God. See, the story of Christmas is the story of Jesus who willingly chose to empty himself of every heavenly entitlement. So when you ask why, why, why would he do that? The answer goes back to the first verse that we looked at. It's to seek and to save a lost world. Here's my theory on this. I think that Jesus left all those things behind because all of those things would have only stood in his way to have the capacity to love people sincerely. If he came in wealth and power, he could have looked down on us as a a highly king and said, Pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. Pull it together. Make it right yourself. I'm here to kind of clean you up and to give everything that you need. But he didn't do that. He joined us as one of us, giving us the only thing that we really needed, which was love. The only thing that Jesus needed to accomplish his mission was love. So let me ask you this. Do you think this is still a relevant message for today? I think it is. And that's the reason why we've been trying to tell a different story with the way that we experience Christmas. And we've been doing it through Advent Conspiracy. And each week, we've shown a video from one of the authors of the Advent Conspiracy and what they kind of see as, uh, as the change. And so I want you to hear from one of them as he talks about how loving all really impacts the way that we celebrate Christmas. You know, the thing with acts of love or kindness, uh, I think we forget that in a world that's starved for it, where so many people are looking out for their own self-interest, where uh, greed and ambition and self-centeredness have become uh, standard operation for most people. We forget that love is prophetic. We find that when... Uh, you love people and they don't expect it, um, it causes them to re-examine everything going on in their life. So I encourage you to think about uh, your neighbors, to think about your coworkers, 
clearly everyone in your family, and then those that are forgotten by almost everyone. They're homeless, they live around you. They're the working poor that live across the other side of the railroad tracks. And there are friends and neighbors um, in distant lands that live in small villages that have been forgotten. And to say, what does it look like to demonstrate love in all of these places? We believe that when we do it, we'll, uh, we'll change uh, each and every pocket and corner. Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that we need a lot of stuff in order to be able to love people. And I think the story is different, and we learn a different story when we consider the Christmas story. That Jesus, although he had everything, emptied himself of all of that stuff in order to have the capacity to love other people. And we try to love people differently with the things that we have and sometimes with the things that we don't have and we spend and we get ourselves into debt in order to give people things that sometimes they don't need. But rather than looking at what we don't have, what if we looked at what we do have and we made the conscious choice to, as followers of Christ, empty ourselves of what we have in order to love people in the same way that Jesus loved them, to love them sincerely from the heart. That is a different story that we would be telling to the world. It's a story that we've taken up as a church. I hope it's, if, if you're visiting, that that's a, a different kind of story than the one that you often hear come Christmas time. We believe it's closer to the heart of God than the Christmas that we tend to experience year in and year out. So there are two ways that I want to kind of challenge us to continue to tell this story. Two ways that, uh, that we can continue to tell the story of spending less, giving more, and loving all in the name of Jesus. And one is this, to love when it's not expected. People expect generosity from us during the Christmas season, do they not? I mean, that's why the Salvation Army is out in front of Walmart, because they're expecting it. People expect generosity, people expect uh, love. They may not get it, but they expect it. Um, what if, what if, as a church and as the body of Christ, we went out in the world and said, we are going to love when it's not mandated to love. We're going to love people when it's unexpected. That would continue to tell the story in a very real way to a world that needs to experience something of the love of God. Secondly, not only are we love when it's not expected, we're going to love those who don't expect it. We're going to choose to, as a church community, to love those who aren't really expecting it. And this is really what uh, our offering uh, tonight through our, our baskets has been all about. That love, we believe, must include those who are forgotten by every other sector of our society. We're going to choose to take what God has blessed us with and we're going to give it back to those who are least and lost 
And so when we, we're actually going to announce this in, in just a few moments, our Haiti offering, um, this is not being used by us as a church. We are taking every penny of this and forwarding it directly uh, to the people in Haiti that need it so badly as a way to say to them, Jesus came and he died for you, and he loves you. And we are here in his name to share just a small, small piece of that love that he has for you. This is an act of worship. It's not something that we do out of obligation, but it's something that we do because God first loved us. And because he loved us so extravagantly, so wonderfully, and emptied himself of all heavenly resources to be able to give us that love, we then extend that love as an act of worship to Jesus because really it's his birthday, not ours, right? And so we say to Jesus, what would you want? And he says, do what you can for the least of these, and I'll be happy. And so that's what we're going to do. This is the way that we tell the story. It's very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16 when he put it this way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Jesus, we say, is the light of the world. He came to give light and life to all who would call on his name, who would become sons and daughters of God. And those of us that have responded to that call and said, yes, we want to be part of God's kingdom, we now pass on that light to other people and we say, let it shine. Because God is working in us, he's working through us, and we want him to work in you too. This is the message that we tell, not just on Sunday mornings, but all throughout the week. As we love, as we give, as we serve those who are so often unserved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have used every resource that you have to come down to earth to intersect our story. And it happens in such an unexpected way. We sometimes think of God as being powerful though you are, wealthy though you are, having high reputation though you do. And yet at Christmas, we celebrate the fact that you put all those things aside. That you were born into an out-of-the-way corner of this world. And somehow through that small experience, you bring the most wonderful light the world has ever known. So God, I ask that you would change our hearts this Christmas. Help us to see things the way that you see them. I pray for change, God, and I ask that you would work through us, Lord, to extend your love to a lost world. Help us to continue to bear that mission, to seek and save that which was lost. And as we do that, God, somehow your reputation increases. People start to see you for who you are and worship you for who you are. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Help us to respond in love as we live to serve and worship you. In Christ's name.
Amen.